Hey, thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter, encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. All right, we are starting a brand new series today called Making Room for a Miracle. And this is going to take us all the way through Easter um, as we move forward in the Easter season. I just want to remind you that people will come to church at Easter, people who don't go to church, people who don't know Jesus. So we're going to actually have three services on Easter Sunday morning to make lots of seats available for you to be able to bring your friends and coworkers, people on your street, maybe a family member. And like I said, you know, we want to make sure we're bringing people to church who don't go to church, who aren't interested in God, maybe. Don't Try to bring somebody from another church and say, our Easter service will be better than yours. No, that's not the point of Easter. Uh, we want to maybe inform somebody who doesn't know Jesus. So think and pray about the next little while who you could be bringing to Easter service. Because like I said, we're making lots of room that morning for you to bring, uh, to bring your unsaved friends and loved ones. It's going to be a great time. All right, so this series, Making Room for a Miracle. One of the things that we know about Jesus, he was famous for being a tremendous teacher, a great leader, we would see of the apostles and the disciples. But one thing is undeniable in the gospels that we would see that Jesus is famous for miracles, for healing people and doing very miraculous things and just things that are unexplainable. And what we want to discuss in this series is how in our lives, as we look at the ministry of Jesus, stories in the scripture, when miraculous things happened, what were people doing in conjunction with those miracles? Because there's always a Godward side and a manward side to every experience that we see in the scripture that, that God shows up in our lives. God is constantly, forever partnering with humans, even though we mess up and we fall so short that God never abandons us. He never leaves us right from the beginning. We see that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God made plans for us to reconnect with him. And so he wants to connect in our lives and he wants to connect in our lives like we would see in the ministry of Jesus in very miraculous ways. But as we discuss this idea, what we're talking about is positioning ourselves, making ourselves available for a miracle. Now we can't make a miracle happen. Uh, these are things that God chooses. We see in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's discussing these manifestations of the gift of the spirit. Now we know that God's presence is everywhere all of the time, but Paul is teaching us how these specific times, how the spirit of God would manifest or show up or, or something would happen, something would be caused to happen by the spirit of God. And there, there's nine of them, and they fall into three different categories. Just naturally, three of them say something, three of them reveal something, and three of them do something. And one of those that do something is the working of miracles. But in the same context of those verses, Paul said, these things happen, happen according to the will of God. So God is deciding when these things are happening, not us. But what we can do as we look through these stories that we can position ourselves, we can get ourselves ready. Positioning yourself is very important. Now, do I have anybody in here who likes sports? I know I have a few friends in the house who like sports. You know, when we think about playing sports effectively, you know, I played basketball growing up in high school, and one of the things that our, our coach always taught us, that we needed to be, especially on offense, we needed to be facing the ball, the person who has the ball, because at any time, they could pass you the ball, and if you have your back to the person, you know, you're going to get hit in the head or the back, and it's pretty embarrassing. You don't want that. 
If any hockey players in the house this morning, uh, it's so important for us to have the proper positioning. Now, when I went to Bible school, um, you know, there was about five or six Canadians at my Bible school, and they had intramural floor hockey. And they never let any of the Canadians play on the same team because we would have crushed the Americans. Sorry, love. Because they just don't know how to play hockey, most of them, except for Austin Matthews. He's pretty good. But anyway, he's an anomaly. Um, and so, but what the problem was with all of these guys that were on my team, they had no idea how to play positional hockey. They were just running diagonally across the floor and you have to explain it in very simple terms. You know, I was playing center and there was a guy on the right wing and I'm like, okay, you are right wing. That means you stay on the right side. You don't run across. Even if the ball is on the other side of the floor, you don't, you stay in the right side because the ball could come to you on the right side. You need to be in position to get ready to receive the ball. My daughter over here who played intramural hockey, floor hockey, I was so excited when she signed up for floor hockey because all it had ever been is dance lessons and voice lessons. She had an opportunity to be great at hockey, but she forwent that opportunity and she can dance and sing. It's amazing. But hockey would have been special in my heart. But anyway, when she decided... To go out for floor hockey, I think I shed a tear in that moment. And then when I heard that she scored her first goal, there was a few more tears that went along with that. But I had to go pick her up one day, and I got to watch her play. Now, she forewarned me that when I came to watch her play, I was not allowed to yell out anything. Just to sit and watch. But as I was watching her play, I was trying to send out brainwaves to her because she was standing in front of the net with her stick up. <laughs> standing there with the stick up in front of the net. And in my mind, I'm like, put your stick on the ground because the ball comes to you. You're going to be in a position to score. So I texted it to her. <laughs> she went off on break and she's looking at the phone and she rolled her eyes. Because she wasn't in proper position to receive the ball and then you could score. So this is the same way as it relates to making room for a miracle that God is going to want to pass us his will. He's going to want to send something in our direction, but we need to be in position to receive. We need to get ready for the things that God would have us. And this is us preparing, making room getting in position for the miraculous things that God might want to do in our lives. So this is what we're gonna be looking at for the next few weeks. It's a, it's a great thing to look at in the scripture. Now, as we're gonna look at the Gospel of John this morning. Now, the Gospel of John is unique of the four Gospels. Um, John, who was one of the original disciples, apostles of Jesus, he was older when he wrote the Gospel. And he had a very specific format that he was following and a very specific purpose for writing his gospel, that he was trying to prove the divinity of Jesus. And so we have very spe uh, specific miracles in um, the gospel of John that Jesus chose to show us the divinity of Jesus. In fact, there's seven of them. And then to correspond with those seven miracles, there's seven I am statements. And those I am statements are significant to show Jesus' divinities because when we, when we see in the Old Testament when Moses had the experience with God and the burning bush and, and God is sending him to, you know, to set the children of Israel free in Egypt and Moses asked the question to God, who shall I say sent me? And God answered from the bush, tell him I am sent you. 
So for Jesus to make these seven I am statements, he's showing his divinity. But this miracle that we're gonna look at this morning is the very first miracle that we would see in the ministry of Jesus. And it has some tremendous detail in there for us to go through and learn from and to help us to get into position or get us ready in the room to receive a miracle. Now, the word miracle just means in very simple terms, a supernatural event. It means a divine act. It means an out of the ordinary event. It means an anomaly. It means transcending the ordinary activity of nature, that God who created the earth and us miraculously, wouldn't we think that that's a miraculous event, that God created the earth and the universe? Are you amazed by that at all? Come on, it's it's a big deal, friends. (laughs) That there's a planet that's about two-thirds water, that's a perfect spot close to the sun, So there can be human life sustained. Now, I know you think you can do this all the time, but there is only one planet like this, and it's the one we live on. It's kind of a big deal. Okay. (laughs) It's a big deal that there's a planet to live on, friends. It's a miraculous event that we have eyes. Are you out there? that you have lungs, that you have a body. We're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's this this realm that God dwells in, that, that he is amongst us, but it is that his power has created all that we would see that so the fact that existence, the, the miracle of existence, not of just the planets, but of you and I, would show us something about the nature of God and the power of God and how God operates and what, like I said, we can't force a miracle to happen. We're not God. But what we can do is we can get ourselves into position, making room for a miracle in our lives. So we see miracles of healing and provision and timing and then specifically what we need at the moment. See, all of us have different needs here in this room this morning. All of us are at different places with our faith. And there are certain situations that might be important to me and in my life right now, and then they're completely different from the need that you might have in your life right now. But we know that God is a need-meeting God, that he is a miraculous operator. And that's what we need in our lives, the things that are important to us right now. But these principles that we see in the scripture that will help us to get into position. So let's read about this first miracle here in John chapter two, verse one. And it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six six stone watering jars, the kind used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Washing is a theme this morning, friends. (laughs) Wash your hands. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, "Fill fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the wine knew, sorry, drawn the water knew. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the very first miracle that Jesus did. And what did it do? It revealed his glory. It revealed that he was the divine son of God. But if we think about this miracle, it's really not that important. It's really not that big of a deal that they ran out of drinks at a wedding. I mean, it's not a life or death situation. It's certainly not like other miracles Jesus did were raising the dead and healing maybe a blind individual. This circumstance doesn't seem that important as it relates to maybe losing a loved one or being sick physically. It's just kind of an inconvenience, which is interesting. And it's also interesting to think about Jesus as a person going to a wedding, that Jesus lived his life, son of God, preaching to masses, but then he went to a wedding with his mother. He went to a, a family situation. And he was living out the kingdom in these situations. It's so important for us to think about. Now, when we, we, we look back at some of the details here in this story, so Jesus' mother has a lot, has a big part to play in the middle of the story. Verse three, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus answered, woman. Now, you might read this and think Jesus was being disrespectful to his mother. He wasn't. He wasn't like, woman. This is more akin to like ma'am, something honorable that you would say to your mother. So he's not like, you know, disrespecting his mother. He said, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now this verse here, I read a bunch of commentaries and none of the people commenting on this interaction agree. And it's very actually hard. It's a little bit of a cryptic conversation it's a little bit difficult to understand uh, the interchange that is happening, and maybe there's other details left out. You know, we could think, you know, Mary is asking Jesus about this situation, and Jesus is kind of like, you know, Mom, I'm a carpenter. I don't know where they keep the wine. This is not really my thing. My hour hasn't come yet. And then we, the, the story continues, and you might be able to read into this, or some might think, well, then Mary's sort of forcing Jesus into his miraculous ministry. I don't think that that is also true. And it's not so much important, this interaction, but what's important is what happens next. His mother said to the servant, do whatever he tells you. And then later down in the verses, it says, they did it. Do whatever he tells you. This is the first thing that we're gonna be talking about in this series that positions us for the supernatural. It positions us to get us in the place of the miraculous. We're, we're making room in our lives when we decide to obey God. Now, it doesn't seem very glamorous. It doesn't seem very exciting, this idea of obedience. And in fact, we kind of push against the feeling of having to obey any other individual or even something higher than our own thoughts. But here we see a key for us as followers of Jesus to get us into this place where the supernatural can take place in our lives. It's like, whatever he says, do it. 
Now, do I have any rebels in the house? That at one time in your life, maybe now, maybe hopefully not now, maybe when you were a teenager, you cast off all constraint. You didn't want anybody telling you what to do. In fact, you said, I live in a free country. You can't tell me what to do. Anybody like that? Anyone to admit it? Come on, I'm with you this morning. The rest of you are not that great. Anyway, for the, those of us that have felt this at any time in our lives, we felt the constraint and we saw no reason for the constraint in the moment. We didn't want to do what somebody was telling us to do. We saw no reason for it. We saw no purpose for it. When you're 16 and your dad says to you as he gives you the car keys, I'll see you at 11. And in your mind, you thought 1 a.m. made so much more sense. <laughs> What's the difference? Two hours. You feel the constraint and you don't like the constraint. And see, what we miss out a lot of times with just our natural rebellion, with just, just that natural feeling in our lives that we don't understand the constraint, we don't understand the purpose of the guidelines around us. That we, we, we miss out on the freedom that God has for us in the future by the obedience that we would walk in today. And this is what God wants for everybody. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because what we would know and what we should know, which we should want to see from the scripture, the things that God tells us to do, and then echoed by the spirit of God in, the, in alignment with the word of God, the things that God is showing us by our spirit, by his spirit in our lives to do, that we should want to do whatever he tells us to do because he has something for us. He wants us to walk in obedience. Whatever he says to do, do it. And this is the first thing to get us in position. This is the first thing that makes room for a miracle of God in our lives. Whatever he says, do it. And then they did it and they experienced the miracle. See, what time, a lot of times because we just have this natural feeling towards rebellion, we miss out on the power of obedience. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 22 says this, for in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward, not forward. Our own counsel, just what I can think of, just what I'm feeling in the moment, just my own natural desires, that's my own counsel. But God has something more for us just than our own thoughts, just what I can think up in this moment. See, they, they followed their own counsel, and what happened? They just went backward, not forward. But God actually wants you to move forward in life, that we would forget the past, and that we, we move on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not just stuck in our own thinking, our own ways, the own maybe natural rebellion that we have to just any obedience of any kind. 
And when we think about obeying the voice of God, what will we know about God as it relates to us, that God actually loves you and cares about you? He's interested in getting you to the future that he has for you. He doesn't want you to go backwards in just your own ways and your own counsel. And just like Jesus' mother said, whatever he says to you, do it. When we do the things that he has for us, we don't move backwards. We move forward into the things that God has for us, making room for a miracle. See, the constraints right now seem like a lid or they seem like something difficult. But at the end of doing the things of God, there is freedom. First Peter chapter 1 Verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. See, when we're following the voice of God, what is happening? We are in the ways of God. And not just the instructions of God, the realm of God. That God is not somewhere else distant, that he is here with us all of the time. And when we walk in his ways... We are walking also in his power, that we are in position to receive, that we got our stick down and we got our hands up, that we're ready to receive what God would have for us because there's two things always true at every season of life, that God is actually wanting to give something to you, that God is wanting to bless your life, and then simultaneously, he's wanting to do something to bless others with that blessing. The things that God gives us are not just for us to know or to have or to experience, that God is doing something in you right now, that God is sending something your way so that you can actually be a blessing to others. This is the way of God. This is what God is wanting to do in our lives. I'll not go backwards with our own counsel, but to move in the counsel of God. The revealed will of God in the scripture. What are the things that God is saying to us? And part of our assumption is that there is always a higher way than just what I could imagine. Scripture tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. But if I'm always just looking down at what I know and what I've experienced, I'm talking metaphorically, that I'm just examining myself that I'm just stuck in my ways. But when I look up to God and what he would have for me, I can move in the direction of God. And this is the highest thing for all of our lives. To move in the ways of God. This is the highest thing for every individual in here today. Not just my own counsel, not just my own thoughts. But what does God have for me in this moment? What is God saying to me? What is God wanting to teach me in this moment? And like I said before, everybody is at a different place. We have a salvation experience with God, but then we have a sanctification process that we go through that will last a lifetime where God is changing our thoughts and our ways and our actions. And God, aren't you thankful that God is changing us a bit at a time, step by step? That the thing that he's leading me to do right now and to change right now and to walk in right now might not be the same thing that he's asking you to change and walk in, but they're equally important so that we walk in the counsel of God 
not just our own counsel. So we wanna grow in obedience. See, we wanna make the good choice up front in simplest terms. Does anyone think of a decision that you've ever made and then you regret it? You wish you had done something else or you wish you had said something else. What happened in that moment? There was something higher to choose. We just made a wrong choice. We just chose us. We just chose our counsel. Or we rushed into something and then we look back, oh, I wish I had just slowed down in that moment. See, at every moment in our lives, there is the God choice to make. God's counsel is available to us every moment of the day, all of the time. And God wants us to walk in his ways because when we walk in his ways, we're making room for the miraculous. We're making room for the ways of God in our lives. Also, obedience. Another thing, obedience is an act of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse one says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, that I'm offering my body. In other words, I'm offering my life to you, God. And when I offer my life to you, I want to walk in your ways. What is this? This is spiritual worship. When I obey the voice of God, I'm worshiping God. I'm honoring God in my life. I'm making room. I'm getting myself into position for what God would have for me. First John chapter five, verse three says this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not heavy. The ways of God are not heavy. The ways of God are freedom. Whom the sun set free, is free indeed. To follow the voice of God, man, it's, it's freeing and it moves me to the thing that God would have for me, not just my own thing, not just my own counsel. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because on the other side of the doing, there's a, a heavenly side and a manward side to every experience with God. And we know God always keeps his word, right? He cannot deny himself, the scripture says. He is full of truth and he is faithful. The problem is always on our side. Will we obey? Will we walk in the ways that he has for us? So we wanna get ourselves into position. This is what the last thing we're gonna talk about this morning is that obedience to God moves us into position to receive God's blessing. And like I already said to you, God's blessing in your life is not just a selfish situation. All of the wisdom that you have, all of the wisdom that God has given to you, God actually wants you to share it with somebody else. Any blessing that comes your way in any respect, God wants to, like Abraham, bless you to make you a blessing. But obedience positions us for the blessing of God. Luke chapter 11, verse 28 says this, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep it. How many know hearing the word is important? 
We need to spend time in the word of God, our devotional time or on Sunday, whatever it might be. And it's so important to hear the, the word of God. But what's the corresponding important part? Then we put it into practice. Not just the hearing. The blessing comes when we hear it and when we put it into practice. James chapter one, very familiar verse. Verse 25 says this. But to the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, the way of obedience, the way of God gets us into the activity of God, the realm of God, the place of God. And then what's gonna be happening when we obey? you are going to experience the blessing of God in the doing, in the obedience. See, the obedience is the part that's so important. The activity is the part that's so important. We just did four weeks on relationships. Principles from the scripture that when we apply them, when we put them into practice, we see changes in our relationships. But we could hear all of those things and we could think in our rebellious self, I'll take it under advisement. I'll think about it. Maybe I'll do it. If it's easy, I'll do it. See, nothing significant that happens in your life happened because it was easy. Obedience to the ways of God means that you're actually gonna have to change your ways not just do the same old, same old, not just the same old counsel you've always given yourself. No, the counsel of God is the thing that we want to obey. And when we obey His ways, we get simply put in His ways. And then we're making room. We're getting ourselves into position. God, what is it that you have for me right now in this season of my life? What is it that you're saying to me? What blessing are you sending my way so that I can be a good steward of it, so that I can be a blessing to other people? Because this is where we want to live, ultimately. This is where God wants us to live, in his ways, step by step with him in obedience. The final story we're gonna look at this morning, it's kind of a, maybe a little bit of a confusing story, an odd story, and it's about Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac was the son of the promise that, that God had promised to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child in their own age, and it had taken about 25 years from the initial declaration of the promise to Isaac being born. And then when he was about a, a teenager, God showed up to Abraham and said, I, I want you to sacrifice your son. This seems really hard for us to understand, but really it's, it's a foreshadowing of God offering up Jesus. But in this moment where it's kind of confusing for Abraham, he takes off with Isaac. He's like, okay, Isaac, let's go. We're gonna go to the place of sacrifice. And the scripture tells us that, you know, God knew that he had a plan for Isaac's life and that God could actually raise Isaac from the dead. So they went. And they, they got the, the sacrifice area ready and, and Isaac is like, okay, 
where's the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham's kind of like, I got some bad news, son. So he's up there on the sacrifice and Abraham's just about to sacrifice Isaac and God interrupts the whole situation. And we can pick it up here in Genesis 22, verse 11. And it says this, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, thorn, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place of, called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. See, in the way of God, this is what God is wanting us to believe. That God will make the provision Mary said, whatever he said to you, do it. And then they walked in this miraculous moment. And our belief about God is this. What is it? The Lord will provide. That's the Lord's part. That's not my part. My, what's my part? My part is the obedience. I'm getting ready. I'm getting in position. I'll do the things, God, that you're asking me to do. I'm, I'm ready to receive the past at any time. What's God's part? God is the provider. The Lord will provide. So what is it right now in our lives? Because we all have a need of some description. There's, there's an answer that we need, or there's, there's a provision that we need, or there's a healing that we need, or there's a, something that we might be going through. Where am I going to get it? Where am I going to get receive the answer from? Is it just going to be from my own counsel? No, it's going to be in the ways of God. And in the ways of God, the Lord will provide. We'll leave the timing up to him and we'll just do our part. How can I obey today, God? How, how can I follow in your ways today? Because I want to make room. I want to make room for a miracle. I want to get into position, whatever you would have for me. Because I know that you are the provider, the ultimate provider of everything in my, I need in my life. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Amen. Let's just pray today. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at City Church GTA. Thanks again for joining us.